time for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. So good to have you with us, everybody. Monday, June 26th, never a boring day in the mortgage industry. It continues to evolve, and we've got another program. We're going to talk about the evolution of what's happening in the mortgage industry. We've got Jack Nunnery, Executive Vice President of Texas Capital Bank, with us. He'll be joining us here in a little bit. Looking forward to getting his feedback. We've been talking about KPIs for a long time. Now we're going to be talking about KRIs. Stay tuned all the way through as we get into the Hot Topic segment. Jack Nunnery, Executive Vice President of Texas Capital Bank, will be with us. So good to have each and every one of you here. And we are going to be chatting about specifically some new things happening. This podcast is created by mortgage professionals. It is for mortgage professionals. We have a proud recipient of the Innovation Award. Our commitment is to bring you timely information in an audio format basis. And you can listen to this anytime and anywhere. If you have any ideas for podcasts and content that you'd like to see us cover, write us. We get a lot of writing requests for guests and very excited to bring you some of the latest stuff. So let's talk a little bit about some conferences that are coming up. We have the annual conference that will be showing up in uh, Colorado at the Convention Center. It's not too late to register for that. All the summer conferences are really gone away. And we're going to be having the annual conference. And it is filling up quickly is what I'm hearing from our friends at the MBA. So I strongly recommend if you are not yet registered to get registered. You know, I guess all the conferences are important. All the annual conferences are important. But this one is going to be very important because of the content, some of the latest developments. You don't want to miss this one. Also, we want to say a thank you out to our sponsors, ArchMI of the Innovative Rate Star Program, the creator of the Innovative Rate Star Program, as well as Motivity Solutions, providing real-time reporting and dashboards and scorecards. Velma, an efficient mortgage marketing and email platform that you can use to reach your people. In fact, we got Brent Emler going to be our guest next Monday. And Simplifile, real-time electronic communications exchange. And, of course, the Mortgage Collaborative, the power of the network, and the new firm, well, it's the old firm, D&H, now known as Finastra. So very, very interesting about what's happening there in the world of D&H. We're going to hear more about that a little bit later. Let's see here. Anything else that I'm missing in there? Sign up for the MBA while at the MBA website. Sign up for the Mortgage Action Alliance. Let's get Joe Farr's microphone turned on. Good to have you with us, friend. What is the update? The durable orders numbers came out this morning a little weaker than expected and caused a, a small improvement in prices. The the weakness, though, was the, the headline number was durable orders fell 1.1%. Half a point was expected, but much of that came from the transportation equipment. Without that, that's always very volatile. Without that, durable orders actually rose a tenth. So there wasn't a big reaction to the miss, but that's one reason we're up a little bit. We're up 232nds right now. Going into last week, there wasn't much to say about last week. MBS price were you know just slightly better at the end of the week than they started. There was not much economic data that came out. The, that which did included the new and existing home sales data, and and actually those were both a little better than expected. And that's despite 
you know, everyone's heard about the low levels of inventories. The result of low levels of inventory and high demand, though, created a record medium home sales price for existing home sales and the shortest time on the market since that time period's been measured, only 27 days on the market. Fed speakers did create low volatility last week. There are basically two camps in the Fed, one being that they believe the recent reduction in inflation levels is a transitory thing and, and is likely to reverse itself, and, and that, that camp is considering that they should stay the course to tighten monetary policy, and that includes the heavy hit hitters, Yellen, Fisher, and Dudley. Right. And then there's another camp that says, hey, let's just wait and see. This this drop in inflation is kind of concerning. Let's wait and see if it doesn't pick back up. And Chicago Fed President Evans came out in that camp just this last week. So, you know, as those people speak, there's a little reaction in the market. The economic events on the calendar this week, the one to pay attention to is core PCE because it has to do with the inflation levels and is a preferred inflation indicator to the Fed. So it comes out on Friday. Just a one-tenth increase is expected. If it comes out much different than that, we could see more reaction, as, especially if it's on the downside. It could be good for more rates, as that reaction would be, it'd be like the fourth or fifth month in a row that inflation would have fallen if it is uh, lower than expected. And then the other data that come out, consumer confidence on Tuesday, the pending home sales on Wednesday, final look at, well, the third look at first quarter GDP. I, I think they continue to revise these, but... This is called the third estimate of the first quarter GDP on Thursday. Consumer sentiment comes out on Friday. So Always interested in consumer as, sentiment. I'm really interested in what the inventory issues are going to be in our housing market. I just do not understand why we're not seeing builders build more. And I'm hearing consistently, we need to get someone from the National Association of Home Builders on here to talk about this because why are builders not building? I'm hearing that it's because they cannot build homes, what we would consider affordable home housing anymore. Right. It's just, you know, mater building materials has just gotten up there. So what are you hearing, Joe? It's right. Building materials is, is regulation. It's, you know, that being the, the biggest part of it, I think, and, and the hope, uh, obviously, from the Trump administration is to ease on the regulatory side. Maybe they, they could start building more affordable housing. Well, we're hoping to see that happen. It's good stuff. I love your website, looking at the, where the market's going, and your mobile app's just really, really good. So for people that have not yet signed up for this service, folks, you're missing it. Get out there. Sign up. <laughs> Great tool. So Thanks, we're gonna, you betcha. Good job. Good report. Thank you so much. We're going to be right back after this brief word. Remember, we got the hot topic segment. And who's our guest? That's right, Jack Nunnery. Back in a little bit here. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. 
Cass, good to have you with us, everybody. It is, I forgot to mention, did I mention at the top of the program, it's June 26th? I should have thought I did. Les Parker gives us an update and always adds a music parody in the background. So let's see what Les Parker has for us. Again, this is a macro look at what's going on in the markets. Les, what do you have for us today? Thanks, Dave. This is Market Logics Live, sponsored by Loan Logic. Hey, dude, don't make it bad. Take a right hike and make guilt better. Remember to let growth have a new heart. Then you can start to make it better. Mark Carney's dovish stance at the Bank of England, supported by only five out of eight voters, resists the normalization shift the Fed is leading among the G7 central bankers. The shift is only a trickle, but even its chief economist, Andy Haldine, said that he would probably favor a rate hike in the second half of 2017. When the trickle becomes a steady flow of less accommodation, then more equity bubbles will start popping. These views are my own. Go to LoanLogics.com to subscribe to my daily newsletter. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. That brings back some very old memories from the college days, I'll tell you. But anyway, it's good to have you with us, everybody. So let's get over to Alice Alvey. Alice is with us. She's dialed in. Now, she has changed companies, changed residents. She is now with Union Home Mortgage, our good friends there, uh, Bill Cosgrove and company. So, Alice, good to have you with us. Thanks, Dave. Yes, and for those of you wondering, do I still go out and do the speaking? The answer is yes. So we just finished up at the Indiana Mortgage Bankers Conference, and that was excellent. Lots of great information there. Bill was speaking as well, and so I'm anxious to get on where lenders, how lenders can move forward with the KPI discussion. That'll be great. So to make sure we have enough time for Jack, I'm just going to focus in my segment here on legislative uh, bills that are actually moving and getting some traction, which, as we know, once the summer months come here, Congress is all going to go home for their, you know, time on the street, which we all know means time off. (laughs) And we're going to be focusing, what I would like to focus on is the flood insurance bills that are getting movement. For those of you who think, oh, this isn't a big deal, who cares about flood insurance, I just get a cert, you know, at application, it says yes or no, and then we make the borrower get the insurance if it says yes. Well, this really is a very big deal to try and make sure we get an extension. The flood insurance program um, is due to expire, or the funding for FEMA is due to expire September 30th. FEMA, as of January 2017, the last reports I could find, they had to borrow back in January $1.6 billion from the Treasury to break even on its 2016 losses. And that debt, their current debt that they already had, was $25 billion in debt. Wow. So if you want to think of a government agency that really needs some reform, I think they're top on the list right now in terms of costing us the money. A lot of their losses are due to Katrina, Reed, and Superstorm Sandy. So, boy, I say that five times fast. And we, <laughs> we, <laughs> so although those were, you know, many years ago, there still is an overhang in the budget for being able to fund all of that. So there are two bills that passed last week. Five more from the House that just made it out of committee that are getting consolidated. The Senate is also trying to pick this up. 
And really what we need is a total reform. I, I mean, not to mention FEMA needs technology like everybody else in the government world, but better oversight on the Write Your Own program. There was some challenges back in Superstorm Sandy with the insurance companies that didn't cover borrowers and they had false statements in there. So they do want to button up the bad actor issues that can go with that privatization. They want to limit the claim payments to repetitive flood properties. I don't know if you knew this, but out of that, out of the, I don't know, several millions of houses that are out there, we have that about only 1% of the total rep population, which is about 150,000 structures, they really represent 25 to 30% of the claims. So we've got to try and get some, wrap our arms around trying to get the claims and the repeated claims that cost the program. For those of you on the front lines, what is going to also get looked at is some more risk-based premiums for flood insurance, which means that the lower borrower, lower-priced homes won't be trying to subsidize the higher-priced home insurance. So we are going to watch this closely because it does impact originations for what's going to be happening to customers in the new areas. And, of course, there's a big impact to servicing anytime flood insurance programs change. So we'll be watching to see if the Senate can authorize this for as much as 10 years. We're not sure about that. Another big component is repeal mandatory flood coverage requirements for commercial and multifamily. So we'll watch this. It should be getting some movement coming up here in the next couple of months, Dave. And I'll pass it back to you and make sure we have lots of time to talk to Jack. Yeah, I am looking forward to the conversation with Jack. But it's also interesting what's going on. And it's good to hear that you have not left the speaking circuit. You do such a great job out there. Al and the folks at the Indiana Mortgage Bankers Association put on a great conference. So glad you're here and still involved out there. It's good stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. We're going to hear from Simplifile, our friends there. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. Simplifile has technology that gives you the ability to collaborate with settlement agents via real-time chat and messaging, allowing you to track changes, send, receive, and validate documents, as well as obtain status updates and deal with issues as they arise. All of this in a real-time electronic communication exchange. And best of all, you have a complete audit trail of all communications. To learn more, go to Simplifile.com or call our good friend Nancy Alley at 1-800-460-5657. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. And we have the upcoming conference this August in Nashville with the Collaborative. So looking forward to seeing so many of our friends there. Good to have you with us, everybody. Let's get over and talk to Sam Garcia. Sam's got our great website, MortgageDaily.com, with lots of data in this website, which is one of the favorite parts, although I tracked the news articles that he's, he's got up there, some great information. Sam, good to have you with us, friend. Hey, David, thanks for having me on, and gosh, there are just a lot of data bites out there to, to collect and just find the best ones, of course, to present on here. And yeah, Ellie May put out yeah. a May Origination Insight Report, and that report showed that refinance share is thinning. It 
then to 32% in May from 35% in April. It was widest on conventional loans, which had a refinance share of 39%. Overall turn times fell three days from a month earlier to 42 days, but on conventional loans, the time to close was 41 days, which is the fastest of any of the three loan types. The closing rate for all loan types was 70.4%, which that's an improvement over the previous month. And the closing rate was higher on conventional loans. So just really pointing out that conventional activity was kind of strong, had some good metrics, at least in May. So we'll see how that carries out as rates kind of linger lower as they've been. Freddie Mac, it put out its latest economic forecast. And Freddie has mortgage originations totaling $512 billion uh, in the second quarter, which of course ends this week. But after that, home lending activities expected to fall in the third quarter and again in the fourth quarter. And uh, in addition, Freddie has annual U.S. originations declining to $1.6 trillion in 2018 from $1.755 trillion this year. So just kind of a slow diminishing outlook for originations over the next least two years. Fannie Mae released the results of its survey of senior lending executives. And one of the interesting things about that report was that non-GSE expectations are, you know, look bright at least at this point. The share of executives who see stronger non-GSE demand over the next three months exceeded the share who see tighter demand or less demand by 51%. And that's what Fannie referred to as the net up share. And that improved from 43% one year ago. So the non-GSE outlook improved for that group. And in addition, the share who report that credit standards on non-GSE mortgages eased, uh, increased while a bigger share now see standards easing even more. Um, so that, the net of that is that basically they're looking at maybe a little bit lighter standards on some of this non-GSC product. Moving on to our uh, mortgage market index, which is an indication of upcoming originations based on rate lock volume over at open close. It declined 18% last week. ARM activity led that drop, plummeting 37% from the last report, though ARM share was less than 9%. More significant to the overall index, though, was refinance business, which tumbled a quarter and made up nearly 30% of all rate locks that were tracked. Black Knight reported that the 90-day mortgage delinquency U.S. rate was 1.94% in May, and that was a 10-year low for serious uh, mortgage delinquency. Um, Over at Friday Mac, it reported in its monthly summary that its 90-day single-family rate was 0.87%. We went back and looked at some of the historical data from Freddie, and that was the lowest since May 2008. So Freddie keeps seeing improved performance, at least uh, at the far end on the 90-day uh, the point on those loans. Mayak announced that the FDIC is selling MSRs on $73 million in Ginnie Mae loans, and those MSRs are being sold on behalf of Guarantee Bank, which was shut down by the OCC last month. So that's basically some assets from a failed bank that apparently didn't sell in the transfer of the bank. We put out a a wire news story, and that indicated that Quicken Loans founder Dan Gilbert is the richest man in Michigan. Uh, The story cited Forbes, which which estimated Gilbert's net worth at nearly $6 billion. And and in addition to Quicken, Gilbert is the majority owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers and has over 100 businesses and real estate ventures and owns more than 90 
19 Detroit property, so he's big in Detroit real estate. We got some good job news at a time when, of course, we were expecting numbers to fall, but some companies are seeing some some good growth. Uh, Caliber Home Loans recently provided data for our mortgage origination survey, and although their you know loan production was down, as was the case at pretty much all companies, Caliber staff has expanded by more than 1,500 people during the last year. And in addition, its servicing portfolio has expanded to nearly $100 billion from just over $70 billion a year earlier. So they've got growth over in Florida and Jacksonville. GenPact is opening a new office, and that office will provide mortgage processing services for one client who they wouldn't disclose who it was. But plans are to hire uh, 200 people for that location in the first year, and they're going to be handling mortgage services. And then one other story that uh, also impacts uh, employment in the industry, and that was NationStar. They said last week that they're moving their international uh, call center operations back to the United States. And as a result, there'll be 500 jobs that'll be added to domestic call centers, um, which they have in Arizona and in tech. All pretty good news for staffing. The only bad piece of news that we came up for staffing last week was a company called Sendio uh, closed down. Uh, there was a message from their co-founder, Nick Stamos, and they're a marketplace lender. They really, had, when they opened up a few years ago and they raised a few million dollars, they plan to transform the mortgage process, but apparently things didn't work out as expected, and he mentioned regulations made it, you know, made it even more difficult. But uh, anyway, those are some of the biggest headlines. There were a lot of them. I couldn't even come close to covering them all, covering them all but uh, there they are. Good job. There's a lot more on your website. Encourage people to check it out, mortgagedaily.com, or get a hold of Sam at 214-521-1300. Get signed up for this valuable service. Good stuff. Appreciate it. Thanks for running through the headlines. I'm grateful for the stuff that you put up there on your website. It's one of the go-to places. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, sir. And I'll be calling you from California next week. I'll be there two weeks. Uh, Ah, out there for the 4th of July holiday. Well, safe travels, man. Well, let's hear from our sponsor, D&H. Again, they used to be D&H, but now it's Finastra or Finastra, however you want to do it. But it's Fin. It's for FinTech. Astra for the star. So let's hear from David Boland and some exciting updates of what's happening there. Hey, thanks a lot, David. Finastra is extremely proud to be a key sponsor of the Licking On Lending Program. Known formally as DNH, Finastra's global lending division provides end-to-end solutions and innovation to the full spectrum of lenders, including independent mortgage bankers, community banks and credit unions, and even the largest banks globally. Learn more about how you provide an innovative digital experience for your borrowers by leveraging our multi-channel point-of-sale solution, which includes the new MortgageBot Mobile, by visiting our website at finastra.com. It's a new world for them over there. A lot of good announcements going to be coming out of that. Very exciting about where that could take them. So, folks, we're going to be uh, continuing to monitor that, and we're getting some guests lined up to come on and talk about what is going on over there at Finastra. So, anyway, let's hear from the Mortgage Collaborative. We've got the upcoming conference, but it's good to have them as a sponsor, and we're pleased to have an affiliation with the Mortgage Collaborative, where it's the power of the network. It's where people get to gather and really talk about what's going on in the industry. So, stay tuned. The Mortgage Collaborative was founded by former chairman of the NBA, John Robbins and David Kittle, and leaders at the forefront of the diversity movement in the real estate industry, Jim Park and Gary Acosta. The Mortgage Collaborative is the nation's only independent cooperative. The Collaborative provides its members the opportunity to meet and form meaningful relationships with top mortgage professionals and leaders in our industry. In a relationship-driven business such as ours, often who you know is as important as what you know. 
To learn more, go to mortgagecollaborative.com or call Rich Swarbinski at 440-552-0691. The power of the network. That's really true, the power of the network. So who's in your network? If you want to get some more people, head over to the conference. We'd love to have you there. You do not have to join to attend the summer conference. And you can come as a guest. You have to pay to be a part of it, but it's still worth at least check it out. Look forward to telling you more about that in the weeks ahead. Let's head over to the Prophet Doctor. He is out in sunny Florida working again. He travels around a lot, but he took time to dial in, and we're grateful for it. Prophet Doctor, what do you have for us Hi, today? Dave. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> hey. I wouldn't miss hearing Jack Nunnery talk, I tell you what. Looking forward to that. Well, you're right. We're in Jacksonville. Sam was just talking about Jacksonville. Jacksonville seems to be one of the national hubs for mortgage lending activity. We're out here evaluating one of the top national mortgage servicers. Uh, They just happened to change their name. Uh, We're hired under the OCC guidelines to evaluate their SLA providers. But the bottom line of it is we are deep, deep, deep into servicing, working with some of the best servicers in the country. We're uh, working on some uh, risk-predictive algorithms to help identify errors. Really interesting. And the timing is great because this is a great lead-in for our MBA servicing webinar that's coming up in a couple of weeks. On Wednesday, July the 12th, we're going to be talking about servicing the big picture, ROI, MSR, general servicing issues. And then the following week, on Wednesday the 19th, We're going to take a deeper dive into the details of servicing, the KPIs, the risk tools, and performance metrics along with how much is enough, how many people do you need to service a servicing platform. So, yeah, it's really going to be interesting. So go to mba.org, go to education, look for the webinars, sign up. Great to have you attend our webinar. So, Dave, with Jack talking about the key risk indicators, I was – I was thinking about that, and I actually have been thinking about this for a while. So for my topic today and and probably next week or two, I wanted to talk about a tool that that is similar to the risk assessment, but it's actually a little bit broader, and that's called the SWOT analysis. Dave, you've talked about this a lot, I know. It, It stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. It's talked about a lot, but I'm not sure how well people really understand what it is or how to apply it. So I'll be talking about this for the next few weeks. Again, SWAT, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And what's funny to me about this, Dave, is when I say to a mortgage owner that we need to look at their strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threat, they, they roll their eyes, cross their arms, shrug at me, and go, our opportunity is to make more loans, and our threat is not making enough loans. Done. <laughs> Pure, a little bit of a shallow analysis. A little too shallow. <laughs> That's all there is to it. So we're, we're going to take a little bit deeper dive into that. So there's a to- there's so I'm looking forward, forward to that. It's really, it's really an effective tool. It really ought to be done annually. And so next week we'll do strengths and weaknesses. And here's a quick tip. Having a high-quality mortgage production platform is not a strength. And it's not a strength because your competitors have the same thing too, which means it's not a strength. It's a necessity, and not having it is a weakness. So next week, we'll really talk about what the strengths are, how to maximize those, and then be more effective managing our business. So there you go, Dave. That's good. 
I can't wait for that because that is one of my favorite topics, SWATs and the patterns for how you do it. I use it for so many ways. That is a topic that you could just go on and on and on and on about. So I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. That's good. I had so many questions. I'm looking forward to some more information about the webinar that's coming up. But for the sake of time and getting Jack on, I will just save some of those questions for next week. But safe travels, Andy. Thanks so much for joining in and looking forward to participating. Oh, I was going to say, for those that are our listeners, Andy, Alice, Joe have been here since the beginning. And when I was picking up microphones, which ones to use? It was Andy Shell that consulted to me. He is also an audio engineer, does so many things. So, Andy, thanks for uh, those early, early days of sharing things like microphones, how to get better audio, all that sort of stuff. So it was really good. Very much appreciated. That was fun. Let's go shopping again. I enjoy shopping for electronics. Let's, let's do that. It's one of those topics where you go, oh my gosh, you can spend a lot of time. Well, let's get on with Jack Nunnery. Looking forward to it. Before we do, we want to the KPI of the week. We're going to get over to listen to what Motivity John Maynil has and I'll tell you you look at the I just came for the user conference up in the mountains they did a great job and so stay tuned to listen to this KPI because after this we're going to be talking about KRIs T risk indicators so here's the KPI of the week with John Maynell hello Dave thanks very much great to be here as always and this week we have another key performance indicator related to TRID and the KPI is underwriting to closing days. And like all TRID metrics, the focus is the estimated closing date and how far in advance a file should be submitted to underwriting to make provisions for any and all underwriting eventualities, possibly multiple resubmissions, and leaving enough time after final approval to finish the loan and deliver the closing disclosure on time. A very common practice for lenders that have automated their analytics with mortgage business intelligence like Movation is to have the system automatically send email alerts to participants on those loans that are running late and at risk of missing these milestone deadlines. Now, This allows loan participants to continually reprioritize their workflow to ensure they remain compliant, clearly demonstrating again that what gets measured gets results. And with that, Dave, I will thank you once again and turn it back to you. You know what? That's a great statement. What gets measured gets results. So what are you measuring? Well, check it out. Motivity Solutions got a great tool. And it's a great segue into our guest, Jack Nunnery, a dear friend. Jack is the Executive Vice President of Texas Capital Bank. He is our guest today, and he, was, he is heading up. Well, he's been running the warehouse division for years, and then he headed up and launched the correspondent lending division. It was a Greenfield experience. I got invited to be in at the very beginning of that. I was so impressed with the purposed intent, the way they went about the business and how they set this up, using state-of-the-art streamlining tools to really affect, to manage their risk and run this business not like any other correspondent operation out there. So when Jack says, he and I ran into each other, other at I love seeing Jack anytime I'm adding the conference but we ran into each other at the secondary conference I said what are you working on now he's like the mad scientist that goes back into his library or into his laboratory and comes up with new things he said Dave I am so excited you talk each week about on the radio program about KPIs key performance indicators we're working on KRIs and it piqued my attention had a pretty good idea what the R might be but he said key risk indicators so Let's get into a good discussion with our good friend, Jack Nunnery. Jack, good to have you here, friend. 
Good to be here, David. It is never a dull moment hanging around you. You are one of the more intelligent individuals. By that, I mean you are out looking constantly at what is in the market, what, how to manage more effectively the risk. That's probably why you have been named to replace Gary Ort, who is retiring at the end of the month. Be around a little bit through July, just a little bit into July. But you're effectively taking over, and I understand you're changing offices and moving downtown to be closer to the, uh, <laughs> to the executive's wing of the, of the bank. Give us a quick update on all that. Are you excited about this? I would think so. Well, I am excited about it. You know, the opportunity, you know, to lead, you know, a best-in-class organization like Texas Capital Bank's Mortgage Finance Division, you know, is very motivating, David. On the other hand, Gary Ort and I have been partners even before we both got here to Texas Capital Bank. We worked together at a, another mortgage-related entity. So, you know, I've been partners with Gary for over 10 years now, known him personally, for, I guess, 25 years. And so it is with some sadness, you know, that I watch my partner retire. You know, I wish him the best. Uh, He's a great guy. He's been an inspirational leader here at Texas Capital Bank, and, and hopefully I can fill his shoes, David. I'm not worried about it at all. I know you will. Gary and I were talking on Saturday because, as you know, we're launching this new board of advisory service for independent mortgage bankers. I'm very excited about that. So we were talking about that, and he is very, very confident of you and your abilities, Jack. So he's paying you some real big compliments. So yours were burning on Saturday. That's why. I, you know, when you look at warehouse, you look at correspondent lending, you know, you guys are one of the what's, – what's your outstandings in warehousing right now? Or, it's a lot, David. We, you know, we, we don't share that number. Okay. But it's a significant, significant number. One yeah. of the largest in the marketplace. Today we're getting a chance to talk about how you manage that risk, and you have done an unusually great job of figuring out new ways to do so. First of all, when you launched the correspondent division, you went about it in a way employing as much technology as possible. How is that venture going right now? Give us an update on the correspondent lending operation. Well, it's going well. From a volume standpoint, we've carved out our space in the market, looking to continue to grow that in a flat market. Always a challenge, David. From a metric standpoint, our risk indicators are all green. We look at our critical and moderate defect. David, they're they're fractional of what a Uh, normal mortgage entity would run at. You know, when we look at metrics around material and critical defects, you know, typically in a good organization, you're looking at somewhere around one to one and a half percent. I've seen them in some organizations as high as three percent. You know, ours are are literally at 0.001 percent. And so, you know, that means that the files that we are reviewing are well put together. I'll pass a compliment out to our originators that sell us loans. They're doing a good job. And what defects are in those files, we are also doing a good job of identifying those defects and partnering uh, with our origination uh, clients to remedy those defects before you know we pass the loans upstream. So, uh, you know, it's it's going better than expected. It is good to know. Well, I look. It's not surprising, given how purposed and intentional you were about how you created that. Today, I want to get into talking about KPIs, KRIs, and if you could contrast the two and give us some insights from your perspective on the new 
indicator, which is the key risk indicator, and how contrast to the key performance indicator? Well, you know, it was about six weeks ago or uh, maybe eight weeks ago, I was, I was on your broadcast, and you had one of your guests talking about key performance indicators. And during my segment, at the very end, I brought up, let's not lose sight of key risk indicators. And, and so that was the impetus to come back on uh, the broadcast and talk about KRIs. So, you know, when we look at KPIs, key performance indicators, uh, you know, really we're, we're looking at events that have already occurred, such right. as your volume metrics. How many loans did you do? What was the average unpaid principal balance on those loans? Your cost to originate, profit as a percent of revenue. Uh, you know, those are typically what we see in KPIs. Some people may use the terms KPIs and KRIs interchangeably. They are not. KRIs are more predictive in nature. They're the key risk indicators are an important tool within risk management and are used to enhance monitoring and mitigation of risks and to facilitate risk reporting. So, you know, KPIs are more of a a retrospective look on what has occurred, KRIs, more of a forward-looking predictive nature. Let me give you an example, David. A KPI for your clients that are servicing loans might be the delinquency rate on that book of business. Okay? What would be a KRI on servicing? Well, KRI might actually be let's look at high-risk loans that we're originating. And, and when I say high-risk loans, let's think of them in terms of loans that maybe have layers of risk, first-time home buyers that have maximum LTV, or you look at loans that are below 620 FICOs that have DTIs greater than 55%. And if you start seeing that as a percentage of your business that you are taking to your servicing book, that could be a predictive indicator that your servicing performance, you know, may deteriorate in the future. So, you know, one being the KPI, what is my performance? What was it last month? You know, great, I was at 1.65%. I'm under the national average. But the KRI saying, well, wait a minute, I was running 2% of my loans that I was adding to the book were layered risk of low FICO, high DTI, and that has jumped to 9% now. That might be a predictive indicator that I should see some deterioration in my servicing numbers in the future. So just a quick example. Good way to look at it, yeah of the yep. difference between a KPI and a KRI. And, and for your listeners that are with financial institutions, you know, let me flag this as something of, of, of critical importance. Regulators are looking for financial institutions to have good methodology around KRIs. Now, it's not exclusively the domain of financial institutions. Independent mortgage bankers should also be focused on KRIs too because that predictive quality of having good KRIs in place 
is so valuable to the small business operator, David. You talk about implementing KRIs, and there's five key steps for doing so. Let's run through those, each one of those, and then after each one, what I want to do is open up the mic to Andy and Joe and Alice to jump in each one of these. And guys, when we jump in, keep in mind of the time. We've got 15 minutes here before we run out of time. So, Jack, cover the first one. Developing critical measures, and you talk about four areas of that. Would you get into that? Sure. You know, so you've got to build your KRIs, right? And one of the precursors to building KRIs is you've got to make sure that you've got accurate and reliable data. Without that, you know, this whole exercise uh, becomes less meaningful to the mortgage banker. But as you look at developing KRIs or critical areas of measurement, you would normally go to ideas such as loan level KRI. You know, we just mentioned the risk layer earlier would be a good loan level KRI. Then you would have operational. You could have KRIs around compliance and compliance testing inside of your business. And and then one area that people don't normally place a lot of emphasis on, especially at the independent mortgage bank shops, is vendor performance. And we'll talk about some potential KRIs in just a couple minutes. But once you build your KRIs, I think the the next thing in in really deploying this in your work environment is, is you have to establish you know, a reporting hierarchy and reporting timeframes. So what are the pathways that these KRIs get surfaced inside of your, of your organization? You know, I mean, at a financial institution level, you're probably going to have operational risk committees, balance sheet committees, compliance risk committees, you know, governance committees. But again, this should not be just the domain of financial institution. You know, good governance at any mortgage company is an essential quality that leads to success. But where in the organization should the various KRIs be reported? And depending upon the KRI, they can take a different pathway, David. And then, you know, within inside of that context, what are the time frames for reporting KRIs, because again, you know, that can vary. And then finally, you know, in your policy documents, make sure that you've got, uh, you know, the timing of the reporting and the pathway of the reporting baked into your policy. That's that's really important. So when you're looking at measuring and meaningful predictive results, you're looking at loan-level data, operational data, compliance, and vendor performance. I want to go back and score those primary things. And then timeframes reporting, what's realistic for – I mean, is there various windows of period of time? And if so, what are those different points of time – indicate back to you. How are you guys doing that? Some KRIs are best reported monthly, some best reported quarterly. I don't think there's many KRIs that should push past a quarter over quarter review, David. You know, so, you know, these, you know, uh, KRIs are, are critical indicators inside of your business that either something is working very right or something could be going off the rails. And and so, you know, you want to make sure that you're not delaying the reporting of the KRI to the point where it weakens the KRI itself. 
Okay. Alice, let's get over to you, get some thoughts and questions in from yourself. Well, it's interesting that you brought up the, the steps there, Jack, because as we've been, we go through this, we are an independent mortgage banker, but, you know, very often you do a lot of things, like you said, to make sure you're just running your shop well for good governance, even though you know that uh, it, it's not a bank regulated. And so in everything that you mentioned, how would the, the people come into play with this? So you say, you know, we've got uh, committees that would get put together. Do you run this generally where it's, it's groups working together? Or do you find, how do you find that the accountability works best by committee, by individuals, owners of the committee? I'd like to get your feedback on kind of the, the people side of this. I like governance by committee, Alice, because, you know, you have a larger audience with a lot of diverse thought that can benefit the organization at the committee level. So, uh, you know, in, you know, the KRI discussion, what I would do is, is, you know, I would take the KRI deck to the governance committee along with actions to resolve. Well, see, the third thing that you've got to do uh, let me back up for just a second, Alice. You've got to establish risk limits or triggers for each of the KRIs, right? I mean, you know, based on measurements against the thresholds, uh, you, know, you would want to have a tolerance and then an upside threshold. Tolerance means we're okay, we're bouncing against the top of what's okay. When you break through the threshold, now we have an issue that needs to have an action plan to resolve the breach of that threshold. And, and, and so there's where I think the power of a governance committee is because, you know, the, the line manager is going to surface the action plan to resolve breaching the threshold, and I think that the committee will provide valuable input with regard to the effectiveness of that action plan. And then the owner of that action plan would bring it back in front of governance on a periodic basis, whether or not that be monthly or quarterly, to discuss the effectiveness of that corrective action plan, Alice. Yes, that's an important loop, too, that um, I find, you know, some companies do well and others don't, and that's that uh, really making sure you close the loop on assessing that action plan. So. Thank you. It helps because we do see some companies who who don't really set up that full committee structure, and it, and it does make a difference. I agree. And then, you know, finally, David, that, that fifth step, because we talked about steps three and four, and that's establish right. risk limits and triggers, and then step four is to identify actions to resolve when you breach the threshold and then the fifth step in implementing, effectively implementing KRIs is, you know, we have to acknowledge that business conditions change. And so there needs to be a periodic review of the KRIs to ensure that the KRIs are still meaningful, relevant, and they are, and the threshold and tolerance levels are set in a manner that is aligned with the current business environment. Joe, I'll let you jump in here and give some feedback and ask any questions, and I'll run over to Andy. I've got a whole list of questions as I'm looking at the KPI KRIs. So, Joe? I'm curious as it relates to the process of reacting to the results of the, the you know, the, the measuring of the risks Question. and the findings, and then how do you, how, what's the process for reacting to that? 
in this environment, I think it's important that once the threshold has been breached, that the process owner you know, puts together a corrective action plan, Joe. And that corrective action plan then becomes a area of discussion for the governance committee. Is this action plan effectively mitigating the threshold breach on a, a key risk indicator? Uh, and then the periodic monitoring of that action plan and whether or not it's being successful in reducing the risk. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, if we talk about KRIs around servicing, for example, you know, one KRI would be what is your loan boarding error rate, right? I mean, absolutely critical in servicing because if you don't get the data boarded right to your servicing platform or to your subservicer if you're going down that pathway, a lot of things can, can, can go off track quickly, right? So, you know, if your boarding error rate begins to exceed your threshold that you set for acceptable error rates in boarding, right, then, then you know, is it a technology problem? Is it a data problem? You know, and, and so the line business manager you know, needs to come to the governance committee and say, you know, we've got a mapping issue in the technology, or we're not extracting data properly from the docs, and we have key punch errors into the loan boarding spreadsheet or the loan boarding platform, and 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 then monitor, you know, how the solution is is improving the quality of the data and watch that corrective action plan as it matures and 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 then being able to understand you know what is the improvement or the continued deterioration in the boarding error rate that's good that's an area where a lot of people have struggled go ahead joe do you have one more comment or question before well, i run over to Andy? i was just going to ask then you know, everyone knows about the self-reporting with the CFPB and the false claims acts go. that go along with a lot of that. How does your this risk assessment mesh with the process for following up in that area? Oh, I think it meshes extremely well, Joe. You know, if you can demonstrate to the regulator that you have set up, you know, these these KRIs, and 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 you know, I don't think there's any expectation that you know every transaction in any business is going to have a 100% positive outcome. You know, the real benefit of KRIs gives you an early warning that, uh, you know, the process, you know, is, is, is creating something other than the expected outcome and that you can demonstrate to the regulator, be it the CFPB or the OCC, you know, that you have an early warning system in place. Once a tolerance or a threshold is breached, uh, you know, there is a set protocol that uh, you now follow down to correct, uh, you know, that, that pattern and to resolve the issue. Uh, so I think it actually aligns very well with self-reporting, CFPB, you know, and, and also the OCC as well. Yeah, good time. Andy Shell, Profit Doctor. Well, thanks, Dave. I've got you give me two minutes to talk to Jack. That's just not even fair. <laughs> we'll go a little we can go a little longer. Yeah, I know it's not fair. That's true. 
Well, Jack, it's such a pleasure to have you on Licking on Lending, and I've got so many questions I wanted to hit on. So I'll, I'll, I'll lay them both out, and then we can circle back. So the first is, it seems to me there are some things that are key performance indicators, like um, app to lock, that also could be a key risk indicator because you got a branch that takes a ton of apps and never locks any of them. Why? What's going on there? So I want to get your thoughts on the crossovers. And then also, you mentioned vendor performance. So I was curious about, like in a mortgage company, we live and, live and die by our technology and our technology vendor providers, our loan origination systems. And some may say, well, we've got 99% uptime, but what they don't tell you is they've got 70% slow time. So they're always there, but they're always really <laughs> they're always really slow. You know, the big national, most well-known system in the country is super slow. So, how do you measure that in terms of building a system to track a slow vendor or a bad vendor, or just I don't want to put you on the spot because we haven't prepared these questions at all. But I'd appreciate any thought you have on both the crossovers and vendor management. Well, let's take that second question first. Andy, since that one is always near and dear to me. And so the first step is is creation of expected SLAs across your vendor your vendor community. And can if, I interrupt right there? If those yeah. do not understand what SLA is, a service level agreement. It's real important when you're looking at exchanges. So service level agreement, right? Absolutely. You know, the typical mortgage banker is going to have a number of vendors that they interact with, whether or not it's their AMC vendor or their fraud vendor, their LOS vendor, your title agents and settlement agents out in the marketplace. I mean, mortgage banking is a vendor-rich environment. And so, you know, we're all quick to review the contract, sign it, and let's get this vendor on board because they solve a problem over in some area of our business. Take the time to build in SLAs. Talk with your vendor and say, what's a reasonable SLA for this particular event that's covered under the contract? You'll be, you'll be amazed, Andy and David, you know, how many vendors you know, don't have SLAs in their agreement, and they should. I mean, they're wow. selling a service. That service needs to be reliable, and to ensure that reliability, the mortgage banker, you know, should sit down with their vendor and talk about service level agreements or service level waypoints, uh, because you know, if there is no penalty to poor performance, then you open yourself to considerable risk. You know, I, I, it, it never amazes me about the mortgage banking business, right? I mean, you know, the average mortgage banker. We're quick. We respond to our clients. Uh, we'll meet them anywhere to take a loan out. You know, and, and, and then we face our vendors, and we don't put that same level of urgency on the vendors performing well. Uh, so you know, that's right. just been one thing that perplexed me about the mortgage business since the day I got at it, guys. Well, great now, stuff, Jack. I know we're running short on time. Yeah, well, yeah, let me I, I, just comment one I, thing I, I, about what yeah. Andy Andy's first question, David. You know, there is often very close linkage between a KRI and a KPI. And, in fact, right. I think it enhances the overall KRI if 
you look for how it links to the KPI, and, right. and, and it's a natural extension then of the KPI. You're measuring that that predictive nature of the KPI through the KRI. So I think there is linkage, and it's good to build KRI so that they do link to KPIs, Andy. Perfect. Great explanation, Jack. Thank you very much. Well, several questions are rolling in from our listeners. Real quickly, are you using any technology to do this? Is it homegrown? Is there a vendor that you found that you can use that does a good job? Today, we have not deployed a KRI management software. So what we are using today is homegrown, David. Okay, so it is a homegrown technology. And is this something that you – one other question, say, how did Jack come up with it? They do a lot of innovative things there, so I guess this may be one of your customers that, that texting this one in. How did you come up with this? Was this a concept that you had seen or read about or envisioned? I mean, did you create this on your own? I guess is the basis of the question. Well, no, not uh, no. I, I I didn't create this. I mean, I, KRIs have always been, you know, a a a staunch of 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 good management. And you know, early in my career, David, I looked for ways to build predictive models or predictive right. tools. I remember back in the mid '90s. I was trying to, uh, you know, we. I was working for a large aggregator back then, and we were buying a lot of loans. And, you know, I did not want to wait 30 months for my servicing book to tell me what my expected servicing delinquency rate was going right. to be for that portfolio as it continued to age out. So we started looking at early payment defaults, back in 1994, 1995, looking at the reasons behind those early payment defaults. And if I had an early payment default level of X by month eight, you know, what type of predictive tool could I use to then try to determine what that overall book was going to look like from a servicing default perspective at month right. 30? So I've always been interested in you know uh, the the linear logarithm that helps me get from today to a year from now and and then as we watch the 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 data age you know is it within expected tolerance as we're trying to be predictive in nature or is there something that's causing it to go you know, out of tolerance to the positive or to the negative. Every time we open up one of these discussions and these programs, we always look at the clock and we try to get it done within an hour. It's impossible. We've just introduced this topic. would like to have you back, Jack, at another time to really dive deeper into this. And that may be just a special podcast that we do on this very important topic because I think, like you said, it is certainly the regulators' uh, focus to, you know, what are you, do you, have you identified your risk indicators, how you measure them, what are you doing about it? I think this is also going to spill over. If it starts with the regulators and the regulated institutions, the banks, credit unions, then it's going to obviously in time spill over to independent mortgage bankers. And so anyone who wants to run a successful business and have it be for sustainable business for any amount of time needs to understand KRIs. 
Folks, we've had as our guest, Jack Nunnery, Executive Vice President of Texas Capital Bank here. Jack, it's always an honor to have you join us and look forward to having you back here soon. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure. Folks, we have had Jack Nunnery, and we're looking forward to hearing more from him in, in, in the future on this topic. There's so many other topics that we cover. I've got so many questions, of, so many emails that have come in asking questions. I apologize that we're not able to get to all of yours. Continue to email us, and we'll look forward to providing you information on the podcast website. We're launching the new website. should be launched next week, and a lot of the content that we'll be providing will be there the extra content that we're not able to cover in this podcast. Folks, good to have you with us. Be next week, we'll be back with it. Be back with us or download the podcast with Brent Ambler. We're going to be building upon the June 5th podcast where we had Deborah Jasper in here talking about communications. Have a great week, everybody. Good to have you with us. You've been listening to Lickin on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.